The following audio is from Christian Heritage Church. More information about Christian Heritage Church is available at chctoday.com. And I am just delighted to call this man of God my friend. And this morning I want you to open your heart to what God is going to speak to us through him. Would you do that? Welcome Rick Howe to our pulpit this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Thank you, First Lady. You may be seated this morning. What a joy to be here at Christian Heritage. We've had the date on the calendar for a long time now. And you know how it is when you set something up in advance. You know it's there on the calendar, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's time. We uh, We have rejoiced as we have been here with you to sense the presence of God in this house. Jesus is very real in this place. He's very real in you. You have a genuine faith, and I want you to know as, uh, as, as newcomers walking in the door, we've made uh, to, be, uh, to feel right at home. We've been made welcome in every respect, and uh, you treat your guests like royalty, and God bless you, as you should, because we all have royal blood flowing through our veins. Amen? Amen. Turn and tell your neighbor, so I'm a king's kid. Hallelujah. You're royalty this morning. We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. And Jesus is still Lord over America regardless of what SCOTUS rules. Amen. I heard a wise man say the other day, and I want to make this my own mantra here. Uh, As we face the cultural war and what we're challenged with in America today, I'm not going to stand aside because that would be compromise. I'm not going to stand down because that would be capitulation. But I'm going to stand up because that's conviction. Amen. I want to stand up for Jesus. I want to stand up for righteousness. And if they want to take me to jail, that's all right. Like Paul, I'm going to win the the jailers to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Tap my foot at midnight and me and brother Steve are coming out rejoicing. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't it great to be in God's house today? Hallelujah. Across America today. Hundreds of thousands of churches, millions of Americans are giving themselves to the wonderful opportunity of exercising their freedoms to express themselves in their religion. I'm glad today that Jesus Christ is being exalted across America, but especially today in this house in Tallahassee. Oh, it's good. I feel Jesus here this morning. Hallelujah. Now turn and tell your neighbor, say, our guest speaker is not politically correct, okay? I'm going to tell you right now this morning, I'm not PC. I'm BC. I try and be biblically correct. Amen? And, uh, and that's what we all need to be, biblically correct. So I may say some things. They were chuckling last night after service, some of the things that, uh, that I, I let slip. And, and maybe I, if I offended you, I'm going to tell you now, get over it. A number of, uh, when, when Pastor Steve and Yvonne first extended an invitation to come and be with you here in this beautiful facility in this great town, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me immediately about a topic that I wanted to share with you today. And it's something that perhaps we don't hear a whole lot about, but in reality, it's all around us. In fact, if you'll turn with me in Luke's gospel this morning, 
I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of something that's inevitable. Something that's inevitable. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 17, you're going to find with me passage of Scripture that um, Jesus made, and I want you to note the audience that he made this statement to. Jesus was not talking to unbelievers. He was talking to believers. He was talking to the church. He was following, talking to his followers and his disciples. In Luke 17, 1, then Jesus said to the disciples, who were the disciples? The followers of Christ. It is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in one day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word these priceless words, these eternal words from the lips of our master. Lord Jesus, there are great principles that are contained in this statement here, and we pray that all of us will, Lord, imbibe that truth, that we will absorb that truth, that we will stand on that truth, that we'll exercise that truth as we practice our Christian lifestyle. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The other day, I got on Facebook. You know, social media is all the rage, and I, I finally capitulated and, and got myself a Facebook page, and I've enjoyed it through the years. I've got to hook up with friends from, from high school, from childhood, from college years, and other friends in ministry across the nation and around the world. It's been a, it's been a good thing. But you know, social media, especially Facebook, can be quite the place for folks to air their laundry. Amen? As a pastor, I have to deal with that every now and then, Brother Steve. But I made a post the other day in anticipation of what I, I felt in my heart that the Supreme Court was going to say. And I said, whatever we do, folks, however we respond, let's make sure that we behave like we believe. That's the problem. There's a, there's a dichotomy in a lot of Christians' lives. They say they believe one thing, but they behave another way. And you know, that's exactly the way it is with regards to offense in life. You know, it seems like we can be offended everywhere else, but in the church, somehow there should be an exception to the rule that we shouldn't ever get offended in church. Somehow it's just, you know, but you know, Jesus himself, no less authority than the son of God said, doubtless, inevitably, invariably, you're going to get offended. You know what? In the vernacular of the day, you know what he's saying to us? Get over it. Stop carrying that offense. You heard about this. This uh, lady went to the doctor. She just wasn't feeling well at all. He said, well, perhaps since it's been a good while, I said, you need a you need a physical. You need to have an annual physical. And so they went through the whole process, took the blood work, Everything, and at the end of the day, she sat down with the doctor in his office. He said, well, I, I believe we have uh, some insight 
to all the problems that you have uh, in your life, what you're experiencing in your body. She said, what is that, doctor? He said, you're obese. Your problems stem from the fact that you're obese. She said, what do you mean, obese? He said, uh, well, ma'am, I apologize. I say this to you. He said, but you're fat. She said, fat? I want a second opinion. He said, well, you're ugly too. I spent, up until four and a half years ago, I was in Oklahoma City for about 20 years, and a wonderful spirit-filled doctor that we had, Dr. Joseph Gregory, uh, retired, and so we had to find another family doctor. So we searched around. Beverly found a doctor that she liked. I found one that I thought would serve me. And he started writing me up the same way this other doctor was writing this woman up. Every time I go into the office, when he'd do one of his tests on me, check me out for whatever, inevitably he'd always check off obese. Every time I went in, he'd check off obese. You know what I did? I changed doctors. (laughs) Sometimes it's better to change doctors. You know what? As believers, God really wants us to learn how to handle offense. God wants us to learn how to handle, and there, there is a biblical way to handle offense. It's amazing to me how many Christians never learn that principle that's contained here in these several portions of Scripture. It's amazing, absolutely. And you notice, is it not amazing, after all the things that Jesus says here in these first four verses, then he immediately on the heels of that, within the context of the previous statement, his disciples' response to him, his apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. It wasn't when Jesus did the miraculous. It wasn't when Jesus turned water into wine. It wasn't when Jesus returned sight to blinded eyes or healed crippled limbs. It's when Jesus said to his disciples and to the apostles, forgive your brother or your sister if you have been offended. And their response was, Lord, increase our faith. Because as we all know, there's no hurt like church hurt, is there? Man, nothing hurts like getting offended in the house of God. I mean, we expect that on the job, don't we? There are all kinds of idiots that are employed in America, and you have to work with them every day, you know? But there aren't supposed to be idiots in the house of God. Amen? (laughs) Wake up to a whole new world this morning, Tallahassee. The church is full of idiots. (laughs) Full of offenders. And more importantly, the church is filled with people who have been offended. And haven't got over it. Well, I got a word from the Lord for you this morning. Get over it. Pull up your big girl panties and get over it. Pull up your big boy britches and get over it. Jesus said, doubtless, inevitably, you're going to get offended. Get over it. That's that's it in a nutshell. Get over it. Amen? Well, there's more to my message this morning than that. But that's that's the core of it. Understand this. The, The Koine Greek, the New Testament Greek, introduces to us a marvelous word when Jesus talks about offenses taking place. It's the Greek word scandalon. It really means bait in a trap. 
There is no one who operates like Satan to so skillfully and masterfully set snares and traps. And I want you to know that the church today, the modern church of America and around the world, is filled with snares and traps the enemy has set just like landmines. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Scandal on a, a bait, a, 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 a baited snare, a baited trap that is there for anyone who wittingly or unwittingly steps into it and can get severely injured. Second Timothy chapter 2, the wise mentor says to his mentoree, young Timothy, Second Timothy 2, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God permits, we'll grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, the scandal on, having been taken captive by him to do his will. When I was in Bible school, they didn't teach me how to minister to people who have been wounded and offended. That's something I had to learn on my own. It's an amazing thing. The first funeral that I ever conducted was from a murder-suicide. Never had conducted a funeral in my life. I'm in my first pastorate in the second oldest town in North Carolina. And I get the privilege of conducting a funeral. It was a Hatfields and McCoy situation. There was a two-story funeral home that we're utilizing. And one side of the family, uh, one group of people I was taking in upstairs, bringing them through the upstairs entrance. And the other side of the family, I was taking them out through the exit on the lower level. And guns and knives were being carried. I'm in the midst of all this. I said, thank you, Lord, you've called me to this. Somebody in all that mix had got offended. Somebody had gotten hurt. Somebody took up an offense. Now, that's to be expected in the world. And as Jesus said, inevitably, every one of you in the house is going to get offended in church. But what Jesus does not expect of us is just to nurse that thing, to hold that thing, to cling to that thing, never to turn loose of that thing, and never throw it down. Let me tell you something. On, on the authority of Jesus Christ, if you get offended today, you have to forgive your brother or your sister. And if he, if he does the same sin against you seven times today, you have to forgive him. You have to forgive her. Pastor Rick, I'll never forgive her. What she said hurt me so deeply. <laughs> said the icing on my pound cake didn't taste like it should and it ruined the whole cake. And I was embarrassed in front of the whole congregation. Get over it. Bless God. He got elected to the administrative council. I've been in this church 30 years, been a faithful tithe payer. I'm here Monday mornings, volunteering. I come in Tuesdays for prayer. I'm here Wednesday night. I'm here every time Pastor Steve says the doors are open. I'm here, and I didn't get elected to the administrative council. I'm offended. Get over it. Get over it. 
Pull up your big boy britches. Get over it. Offended people fall into basically two categories. Those who have been treated unjustly and those who believe that they've been treated unjustly. <laughs> some folks have been treated unjustly and some folks just believe. And it's hard to mess with somebody's belief system, isn't it? Mess with anything in somebody's life, but don't mess with their core value of believing that they're God's frozen chosen and they should never, ever be offended. Help us, Jesus. Now, this, is, this is pastoral talk this morning, okay? This is not some evangelist flying through town, okay, and going to be out of town tomorrow and forget about you. This is a pastor. My heart has always been to be a pastor. Your, your senior pastor has a heart like mine. We love people, but I'm telling you, when you live in the real world, you live in the church world, you got to deal with real people about real situations. And one of the things, and I'm not suggesting that Pastor Steve's never addressed this to you, but I, I just felt impressed when, when I received the call to come here. I felt impressed to deal with this matter of offenses. And I don't know if, if it's a short-term thing or a long-term thing, but there are folks in this house this morning that have been offended and you've never gotten over it. You have stunted your spiritual growth. You have taken the bait of Satan. You've stepped in that baited trap. And you've been hanging from a tree limb ever since. And I want you to know this morning, Christ has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He doesn't want you hanging from a tree limb with a wounded limb. He wants you rejoicing. Hallelujah. He wants you to sing with, with Brittany and the rest of the crowd. We're stirring up deep, deep waters here this morning. We're going to jump in the river. We're going to dance in the river. Hallelujah. We're going to dance. Hallelujah. Because we're free from offense. Doubtless, Jesus says, you'll be offended. Just get, get ready for it. The Church of America, a lot of folks in America, Christians, woke up Friday morning and they read the newspapers, they watched, and they were so offended. I can't believe the Supreme Court would rule like this. I can't believe that, that the president would bathe the, the White House in, in rainbow colors and say what he said. Have you had your head buried in the sand for the last 40, 50 years in this country? Christianity is under attack. Folks, did you know we're, we're in a war? And we're not in a cultural war. We're in a spiritual war. This is a thing of life and death. And let me tell you something. It's going to take a healthy, whole body of Christ to deal against what's coming against us. If we're not healthy, if we're not healed, if we're not whole, if we're dealing with offenses for the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in our life, we're not healthy, we're not whole, and we need to be. And so the word of the Lord for us this morning is to be healed. I love that Greek term. When Jesus came, he sozo them, he saved them, he healed them, and he delivered them. Hallelujah. Some of you need to be saved from your offense. Some of you need to be healed from your offense. Some of you need to be delivered from your offense. Some of you have nursed your offense in your life for years like you would a little baby. You just cuddle that thing all day long. You set it off the side when you work on your computer for a little while. 
Or you make your phone calls away and then you pick up that little offense and you be, oh, you the sweetest little thing. <laughs> you a darling. Nobody knows the hurt that we have been through. <laughs> You're precious to my heart. Beloved, that's not biblical. That's not biblically correct. Jesus wants you to rise above that. And guess what? He has given us the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to be our comforter, our guide, our teacher, to lead us out of the wilderness of woundedness. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope I haven't run you all off yet. Hallelujah. You know, the heart's true condition is oftentimes concealed. When you find out somebody's being offended, you go to them and say, I understand that possibly I said something that offended you. And here's their response. Oh, no, I'm perfectly fine. You know, they show off those, that great denture work cost them $20,000. I'm fine. Thanks to Calvary, I'm fine. Who let him in the house? Who invited her to this meeting? I'm fine. As I read in the third chapter of the book of Revelation, there's a church in ancient Turkey called Laodicea who had this testimony of themselves. They're rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. Man, they were wearing Brooks Brothers suits. They were wearing fine jewelry by Jared's. Obviously, he had been to Jared's. He had a nice, he had a nice set of kicks on. Now, those are those MJs or those Kobe's? Uh, who's a man? What a set of kicks that dude's got on! Everybody knew you're from Laodicea. Styling and profiling. How you doing, Laodicea? Ooh, we mighty fine. We're too blessed to be depressed. We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have need of nothing. Jesus said, time out. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're blind. And not only do you not have a Brooks Brothers suit on, you buck naked. You're naked. Public nakedness is a shame. Maybe not in the church sometime, but you know. It used to be shame everywhere. It's not a shame. But I'm telling you, Jesus looked at the Laodiceans and cut to the quick. He cut right to the core. Said, folks, here's how it really is. And you know, there's no one who can speak that into our lives like God Himself. Amen. There's a nobody who can touch the button in our life like the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned last night. You know, I'd gotten all high and holy about that sermon I was going to preach you last night. When I when I was trying to get ready to prepare my wife for 41st anniversary and put a diamond in a ring that she had lost. So those of you who weren't here, I went to a place and some lady just kind of put me off, a servant lady kind of put me off, and it took me about 35 minutes to get a Coke and a hot dog. And I sat over, and I was just waiting on that Coke and that hot dog, and the Holy Spirit said, how's that? I'm contented in all things working for you, Rick. Huh? I'm a man of God. I'm a man of the cloth. 
I don't take offense. I'm fine. I'm okay. Don't touch me. Don't come see me. Don't call me. But Pastor Steve, I want you to know I'm fine. Jesus said, inevitably that's going to happen. Inevitably somebody's going to say something, do something. Somebody's going to get appointed somewhere that you were hoping to get appointed and you got disappointed instead of appointed. You know? Somebody like someone else's dish better than yours at the covered dish meal. Somebody got sent on a mission trip and you got asked to volunteer to catch the phones while they were going to Nigeria. God knows I love Nigeria better than anybody in this church. I'm just answering the phone and it's a bunch of idiots calling wanting to talk to Pastor Steve. Offense. It will come. Jesus said it will come. And there's those who believe that they have truly been done an injustice and then those who have been done an injustice. Jesus said for the church in Laodicea, buy for me gold refined in the fire. You know, gold in its purest form is soft and it's pliable. Uh, alloys have to be added to gold to, to give it rigidity and structure. A believer's heart should be soft and pliable like real, real gold, rid of offense. Hebrews chapter 3 Hearts are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There's no deceit like deceit. The danger of deceit is deceived people don't know they're deceived. Offended people oftentimes don't realize they've been offended. <laughs> I'm not offended. I stand for righteousness, holiness, justice, truth in this country. And then a Christian heritage, let me tell you, nobody believes in righteousness more, more than me. But let me tell you what he did. Beloved, inevitably, offenses will come and hearts will become hardened. Here's the best way that we can deal with offenses is deal with them immediately. I have found and I have learned in my own life and through my pastoral experience, the best way to deal with fences is to deal with them immediately. You know, sometimes you need a moment for the dust to settle, but deal with it just as expeditiously as you can. Why? Because if you don't extract that thorn from your spiritual side, it will fester, it will grow, it will get infected, and all of a sudden you realize, I've got a lot deeper problem than I realized I had originally. Jesus wants us to deal with offenses immediately. Gold purification engaged uh, involved grinding gold into dust, then adding something called flux, and it would be placed in a container and put into a furnace, and the impurities attach themselves to the flux, and it rises to the surface, and then they're ladled off, and gold remains at the bottom. If you have been offended, believe you me, God's going to turn up the heat in your kitchen. 
somebody that's hurt you, somebody that's harmed you, somebody that's offended you, they walk into the room and you just feel something going off inside. And I listen, this old fat boy from North Carolina ain't talking theory right now, okay? I'm talking reality because it happened to me. We'll get into that in a little while. And you realize there is something within you over what he said, she did, whatever the case may be, however the church may have you thought perceivedly mishandled a situation and those folks get before you and something starts roiling up inside of you. You know? I had a deacon one. When I first started the ministry, I didn't jump into senior pastor. I was raised a preacher's kid and I, I knew well enough that I didn't know everything. So I thought, you know, I need to train under somebody. And so I, I went to Durham, North Carolina, and I went to work in a, in, a, in a local church there and started off. And in a short period of time, I, somehow I crossed wires with Daddy Rabbit. Whew. And I said something in a board meeting one night that set him off. And I was a young guy, you know, I just knew in the ministry, wearing my platform shoes, my powder blue Johnny Carson suit. I had hair down on my shoulders, and I was the cool dude bringing redemption to that church. And so I was interacting with the elders of the church, and I said something that ticked off Daddy Rabbit. He jumped out of his chair. He come running over my side of him. He got right in front of me. Excuse me, Cal, I don't mean to offend you. No offense in him. <laughs> Young man, if I had you outside right now, I would straighten you out. Now, my face didn't get quite as red as I'd like for it to, but he was madder than a hatter. I offended somebody. First time in ministry I'd ever encountered offense where I was the offender. Believe me, like all of you, I'd had my share of offenses. <laughs> Bless God, I got offended here, and I got offended there, and I got offended at that church. You remember that time in revival? I got offended there, and I got offended there. But the first time in my ministry that I had been the offender, great day in the morning. This is supposed to be a message about us forgiving those who have offended us. Amen? Sometimes we need to understand that we're the offending party. You know? We need to understand that you can very easily offend. And I'm telling you, it's just because, again, like the church is filled with the landmines of offenses that the enemy has set. But I'm telling you, we can step in that trap, that bait of Satan so easily and offend people. You hear something, you overhear something, you misunderstand, you misinterpreted what it said. And before, bless God, you know, there's trouble stirring in the ranks. And we have to get Pastor Steve up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, can you come over to my house? My spouse is so distraught over this thing in the church. You know? Like a kleptomaniac. Called a psychologist. Middle of the night. So I'm having a terrible, terrible time. I'm down here at Walmart after midnight. I'm shopping. I'm so tempted to steal. He said, take two ashtrays and call me in the morning. That had nothing to do with my sermon. <laughs> Offenses are everywhere, but they need to be eradicated. We need to be ruthless in eradicating offenses from our lives. And let me tell you this morning, don't be looking to your left or to your right about who needs to get over something in this church. Look within yourself this morning because undoubtedly all of us have got something in this house that we got offended about. 
Huh? Hey, I'm just, you know, I'm not preaching for a paycheck here this morning. You've done what you're going to do. Okay? First Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if indeed you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory as the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ refines us with afflictions with trials, with tribulations, with the heat that separates the impurity from that which has been garnered in our heart of unforgiveness and strife and bitterness and envy and so forth from the character that God really wants us to have in our life. God wants you set free this morning from the offense in your life. You don't have to live. Some of you have been under the impression you're just going to have to live with that hurt all of your life. My friend, you don't have to. Let me tell you, the biggest key to a resolution of hurt in your life is one simple word. It's called choice. You can choose to be wounded. You can choose to be offended. You can choose to fail to forgive if you choose. But if you do so, let me just tell you, you have written yourself a prescription for a life filled with misery. And folks will probably get to the point or out here on Main Street, they'll cross to the other side of the street just to stay away from you. Oh, here she comes. We're going to have to hear, hear about that, pan, that pound cake again. Here he comes. We're going to have to hear about the administrative council. One more daggone time. We need to deal with it, and it's a matter of choice. Choice. If you can get that in your spirit today, I believe it will revolutionize this church and take you to levels that you never dreamed possible. I believe God wants us to understand in a clearly defined biblical way that we are not ones that are to hold to offense. The Supreme Court of America has rendered a decision that if we chose it to be, it could offend us. And we could just... Out from now on, we could fuss on Facebook, we could talk to local newspapers, get on. One more mad preacher pointing his finger at the Supreme Court or the President of the United States, whatever the deal is. Beloved, don't take an offense. Listen, the night is looming large. It's getting darker and darker. But I'm telling you, the brightness of the Son of God is shining in the church of Jesus Christ today. And it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have to see your true condition before you can really deal with it. When we're offended, we see ourselves as victims and we blame others who have hurt us. We justify our bitterness, our resentment, our anger, our envy. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I've been offended. And I deserve this pity party. Would you all come to my pity party? Three o'clock this afternoon. Sit down with me, get you an Arnold Palmer, order you a pizza, and let me tell you about the offenses that have come in my life. Thank you, brother. I'll pass. When someone belabors their offense, they need to understand there's a choice to make. Get over it. Rise above it. Get released from it in Jesus' name. 
Jesus said, anoint your eyes, Laodicea, with eye salve that you may see. I'm praying this morning that God will own every one of us with eye salve, that we will see. And listen, I don't know your church history. I don't know all that's going on here now or has gone in the past, okay? But somehow, some way, the Lord laid this message on my heart. We need to understand. And this is a big one, okay? You won't be running the aisles. You won't be shouting. You won't kick the doors open when you're running home to lunch at the church today. But I'm telling you, if you can get this message about rising above an offense, God will set you on a higher spiritual plane than you have ever been before. And the synergy that will come out of healed brothers and sisters will absolutely astound you. Instead of being a church of however many hundred strong, all of a sudden you'll start behaving you're like a church that 10,000 strong, 15,000 strong, 20,000 strong, 100,000 strong. That's what happens when we let the freedom of forgiveness flow into our lives and out of our lips. When we blame others and defend our positions, we are blind. We struggle to remove the speck out of our brother's eye when we've got a log in our own. It's the revelation of truth that brings freedom to us, my friend. When God reveals it to us, he does it through conviction and not through condemnation. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit can just, just touch you? I mean, just, just touch you. He, got to say, he doesn't say it with rancor or anger. Just like when I was sitting in Bass Pro the other day. Sitting there looking at little idiot servers. Taking 35 minutes. Get me my hot dog in a stinking cup. And I'm trying to get a diamond in my wife's ring and get home. So I'll be the hero tomorrow. And the Holy Ghost says. How's that whatever state of contentment working for you now, Hog? Oh. You see, even the man of God can step into a trap, step into a snare. As I told them last night, I spent the next 30 minutes just sitting there praying in tongues in Bass Pro Shop for that little guy. Most of all, I prayed God would give her another, another speed besides granny gear. But I prayed blessings on her. I prayed blessings on her. I'm going to try and wrap this thing up here. Real quick, like, turn with me to Psalm 55. Uh, media folks, can you help me? Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor does one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. That's the offense. That's the hurt that almost kills you, isn't it? A number of years ago, I met a young man in college. We became good friends. Through the course of his life, I saw his obvious giftedness and his ability. I opened doors of opportunity and windows of opportunity for ministry for him. 
I did everything in my power to help advance my brother in the kingdom. And uh, one day I got the grand privilege of becoming his pastor. Had, uh, had a joyous time there in that church. And I, I, I was pastoring in the most prestigious pulpit that I'd ever preached from. I was having a grand and glorious time. Had an 11-year honeymoon. And in that 12th year, in that first quarter, a few things started stirring up a little bit. And I looked around began to estimate the strength of what felt to be just a little bit of opposition to me. And I started noticing a few things. My wife started noticing a few things. My children, who were then in their late teens, early 20s, they started noticing things. They said, Dad, have you, have you noticed Sure, son, it's nothing. Honey, don't worry about it. Everything will be all right. God before us, who who can be against us? Don't worry about it. And it just kept, every quarter in that year, just started getting a little more. The pressure was going up. The heat was going up. And I was starting to feel it. And I looked around, and, you know, I ain't the sharpest pencil in in the box, but I can figure some things out. And I realized that the core of a lot of this stuff that was going on was this, was this friend of mine that I'd known for years and decades in my life. And man, he was the best friend of all the people who were doing their best to be a bucket mouth or sandpaper in my life. I'm saying, I can't believe this. This is my brother. This is, I thought this was one of the best friends I had in this world. I'm an only child, so every friend I get, male or female, is the best brother or sister I've ever had in my life. Let me tell you something. I don't have a better friend or a brother in this world than your pastor. I don't have a better sister in the world than your first lady. My friends are like my family, and I love them. And I felt like somebody had taken a knife and stuck it in my heart. Years ago when I was at Emmanuel College, my roommate was with us on a group of us. We went from Emmanuel up to a place called Amicalola Falls. Anybody ever been to Amicalola Falls in northeast Georgia? I think it's up there somewhere. Beautiful place. My roommate had the only Camaro convertible in the whole college. Everybody's got a cart Emmanuel now, but, but then there are only about three or four. Bill got so infatuated with a young lady, and he allowed the Bluebird bus, the old blue bus that we used to go everywhere, and the old Bluebird, he allowed that bus to get filled up, and then he went to the men's advisor and said, would it be all right if, if I take my, my date here, take her in my convertible car, we go out in the mountain, and we'll take another couple with us, we'll, we'll you know, no hanky-panky, just, so he gave my, my brother, and he went up on the mountain with what he thought was the most beautiful girl on Emmanuel's campus. We got back in the end of the day, and I was laying there in my bed, and my roommate was over in the corner, and he had his blanket pulled up over his head. And one of my best friends come walking in the room and said, Bill, what in the world is wrong with you? He said, I, I took her up on the mountain with me. We went to the falls. She turned around and walked away, and she came home with somebody else. It's like she stuck a dagger in my heart, and then she turned it. I've never forgot that statement. She stuck a dagger in my heart, and then she turned it. 
know what my friend David said to Bill? Get over it. <laughs> Bill struggled with that. His ego was hurt. Somebody not only snubbed him, but that fantastic Camaro. My friend stuck a knife in my heart. This wasn't like some girl been with me on a date and walked away from me. This is one of the friends, dearest friends I had in this world. And he was doing some things to just undermine my ministry. It was the most devastating time in my life. In the course of time, I wound up resigning that church. And after it was gone, I prayed diligently, Lord, keep my heart in diligence. Let me keep it in diligence. Let me be pure. Let me be holy. Let me be blameless. Lord, don't let me hold an offense in my heart. But you know what I found out? I lived, uh, Oklahoma City is really a big cow town. It's not a, it's not a, Metropolis, it's just a big cow town. And a lot of people know a lot of people. And inevitably, when I'd run into people, there'd be somebody say, have you heard what so-and-so is doing? How good he's doing? And that was the so-and-so that had stuck a dagger in my heart. And when his name would come up, something would start rising up inside of me. And it wasn't brotherly love. I felt more like that deacon cow. I hit him outside right now. I'd straighten him out. And the Holy Spirit touched that area of my life over and over and over again until I dealt with it. It took several touches. I had no idea. Months and months after we had resigned, six, seven months afterwards, we were out with some friends one night from Kingfisher, Oklahoma, and they brought us back from a great supper and fellowship time they brought us back to the front of the house, and, the, and, the, and my friend driving just turned around and said, Beverly, how are you doing in all of this? And my wife broke down and just started sobbing. And the hate or the hurt that was in her heart just kind of pouring out. I had kind of been pre-active, uh, uh, proactive in my situation. I'd seen it coming. I didn't disclose it to my wife and family. I didn't talk about those things. I shielded my family. I grieved, I hurt, but I was trying to move on in my life. And I had no idea how wounded my wife was. You know how it is in life. Your spouse gets wounded. Who usually takes the offense? It's your spouse. My wife took an offense from me. She was wounded for me. Because, I mean, after all, I was her Sir Lancelot. I was her knight in shining armor. I mean, I'm 255 and 5'10", but I'm still Lancelot to her. <laughs> I've struggled to keep this suit buttoned all morning long. <laughs> Trust me. You know, in my mind, I'm 6'4 and about 180. <laughs> Making $3 million a year and jamming basketballs for a living. I'm built more like a middle linebacker, the truth, and a very slow one, if I might add. All of this hurt started pouring out of my wife's. But you know, God instantaneously healed her that night. And when I saw the healing transforming her, I realized there was still a little vestige in my own life. And I had to release it. I had to release it. I had to forgive that, that individual and some others. And things changed. And when those 
names of those people came up or when they entered the room I was in or somehow present some way in the gatherings that we had, I no longer felt this resentment. I no longer felt this boiling. I realized I had released the offense. My wife had released the offense. And we were in the process of being healed. I finally figured out after I moved from Oklahoma back to North Carolina and started pastoring, I finally realized one day when I knew I was really, really healed. A mutual friend of the individual who had offended me and probably had known that guy all of his life and known me for 25 years stopped by to visit, came by to see me. And in the course of that conversation, he said, have you talked to so-and-so lately? And for the first time in years in my life, there was no resentment, nothing. I didn't start turning red like a thermometer. There was no resentment coming. And, and that's when I knew I was healed. I take no credit for that. It was the healing power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. But what it took for me was a choice. I had to choose to forgive someone who had offended me and offended my wife and offended my family and sent me off in a dizzying tailspin for a while in my life in ministry. Fast forward. Three years ago, I got a call from this individual. He said, hey, man, so we're doing some missions work in Turkey. And I'm wondering if you would like to go with us on our team over there. This is the guy who pulled the rug out from under me. And instantly I said, man, I'd be delighted to. I'd be honored. And so we went to ancient Turkey and we toured all the old churches, the seven churches of southeastern Turkey, the churches of Asia Minor from the book of Revelation. Do you know the Pentecostal Homeless Church is rebuilding a church in every one of those cities? And I was at the dedication of the church of Laodicea. That place where they all were styling and profiling and doing so good. And Jesus said, better get you some eye salve, a new set of prescription glasses. You, 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 you kind of messed up and you're buck naked. And I went there and I, I witnessed my friend lead the dedication of that church in Laodicea. Muslim families were in there who had converted to Jesus Christ. Tears were streaming down their face. A man who had been arrested and in prison in Syria, and he came to me and he said in his broken English, I was scheduled to be hanged for my faith in Syria. He said, and God delivered me. And he said, this church right here in Laodicea is an answer to our prayers. We saw this place in a vision years ago, and God delivered me from a death sentence to bring me here. He said, Rick Haug, thank you for being a part of that. And the only reason Rick Haug could be a part of that is because Christ had worked forgiveness in my heart and my life. And the friend who had offended me had invited me to once, begin, once again become his ministry partner. Folks, we can all get offended. We, can all, we, we all probably have been offended in this house this morning. But let me tell you, holding that offense will only hurt you. It'll only harm you. Somebody said it well a number of years ago. If there's somebody 
whose name and their voice is just rolling around inside your brain over and over, and you can't get over it, and you're so frustrated, you're so exasperated, you've learned to hate that person, and that voice is going, guess what? You're letting that person live rent-free in your brain. I don't know if anybody wants to go rent-free. You know, if you need a revenue producer. Amen? I'm going to close with this. In March of 2009, I had occasion to get up with a brother pastor of mine, a very dear friend of mine, who became one of my best friends while I was in Oklahoma. And while I was going through my challenges and my struggles, shortly thereafter, he went through the same. And it broke him. I hadn't seen him in probably almost a year. When I sat down in that restaurant for us to share lunch together, I saw a man who was broken. He had aged. Some things had gone horrendously wrong his relationship with some people in his church and ultimately with the oversight body and it, it it just got worse and worse and got uglier and uglier and I saw a man sitting before me that day a broken man wounded man a hurt man I came home from that experience and I wrote this poem it's called the sacrament of tears I sat today with a brother as tears filled his eyes and then filled mine he spoke of pain and hurt and I remembered mine his pain his hurt is now mine has slipped away we shared a bond a faith and shattered dreams of course what matters now is where to from here and something deep inside says the cross Run to the cross. Thank you for listening to audio from Christian Heritage Church located in Tallahassee, Florida. Feel free to give copies of this message to others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Christian Heritage Church, please visit us online at chctoday.com.